Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 15. I'm your host, Otis Gyre, and in this episode, I'll be performing four terrifying tales for you, courtesy of author Christopher Howard Wolfe, perhaps better known in creepypasta circles as Slime Beast, about dastardly deliveries, carnivorous coffers, covetous killers, and mysterious monsters. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. 
If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and our other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale from Slimebees talks about the house. You know the house, don't you? It's the one that no one ever wants to deliver to, that has what many like to euphemistically call a history. But one brave delivery driver is about to find out what's really going on in the house, and potentially fulfilling a very special request. Without further ado, I present to you, I knock on death's door. I stood on the rain-slick doorstep of a refurbished two-story house just outside the city. I looked at the takeout order in my hand, then the app on my phone to make sure I was delivering it to the right location. Through casual conversation, other drivers had warned me not to take any orders from this house. Apparently, it was a favorite spot for prank calls and fake orders. Despite the fresh paint and rebuilt structure of the home, there was a dark history that couldn't be erased. A killer had lived there. He was some random psychopath, responsible for countless missing persons throughout the area. He apparently died in a house fire, no doubt caused by someone who'd figured out what he was doing. The authorities found evidence of his crime in the debris in the form of countless human bones. Some optimistic investor must have bought the land cheap and rebuilt with the intention of flipping it for a profit. The joke was on them. Nobody local would live on the site of a notorious mass murder, and anyone who came in from out of state would definitely want to live closer to the city. A modest home in the boondocks wasn't the most appealing prospect, with or without the dark history. Right off the bat, I should mention that I was never one to believe in supernatural nonsense. I wasn't one to avoid something just because a friend of a friend had some spooky personal anecdote to tell about it. So when I saw an open opportunity to track down whoever had been wasting the time of random drivers, I took it. I don't consider myself a tough guy or anything, but I don't shy away from confrontation either. I set the food by the front door with the receipt and took a photo to confirm delivery. It was nothing special, just a burger from some small local joint. Rare, no fries, no drink. Barely worth ordering in the first place, to be honest. I knew what would happen next. Nothing. Some idiot watching from an unseen location would snicker to himself and then try to cancel the order. He'd claim I'd gotten the order wrong or that I'd eaten part of it. Anything to negate the sale and keep his money. Yeah, sometimes I eat some. Relax, we all do it. What this guy hadn't counted on, however, was that I had scoped the place out and I was ready to jump back in my car and follow anyone who looked remotely suspicious. 
If it turned out to be the right person, and depending on size and stature, I might give him a smack or two. Hell, at the very least, I'd make him think he was getting one. I knocked on the door, but only as a formality. Then I stepped back and gazed around the property, peering into the thick tree lines surrounding it. The dude who'd been antagonizing my co-workers for weeks could have been anywhere out there. Imagine my shock when, as my back was turned, I heard the familiar squeal of the front door creaking open just a crack. I turned in time to see the bag disappearing into the doorway. I could barely make out the hand, its skin pale, maybe even silver or gray. At that point, I was confused. Not only was someone living in the formerly unsaleable horror house, but from what little I had seen, they seemed to be an older person, really old. I hadn't thought about it up until that point, but no one I'd seen using the food delivery app was older than 40. Elderly customers tended to dine out as one of the few social experiences they had left, or they would just cook for themselves instead of supposedly wasting money on delivery. Chuckling to myself for buying into the idea I was being pranked, I looked at my phone to make sure the order had been completed. No cancellation, no complaints, five-star rating. Perfect. Then I saw the coin. A single shimmering gold coin lay where I had placed the bag. Now that's an odd tip. I commented out loud, though I'm sure the customer inside couldn't hear me at that point. I scooped the coin up and studied it in my hands, turning it over several times. It felt warm to the touch, and I presumed it was from being in the customer's pocket. A few markings in a language I didn't understand encircled the image of a wolf's head. On the flip side, I traced my finger along the outline of a country I didn't recognize, the detail was amazing, and the coin looked shiny and new while still showing signs of being ancient and obscure. I was immediately transfixed. Thanks, I called out, louder this time. No response. I spent the night researching that coin. Something about it had seized my interest, and all I could do was flip it over and over in my hand. I'm nowhere near an expert, Never even had a coin collection as a kid. Naturally, casual web searches and scrolling through image galleries of rare currency didn't turn up anything of note. I considered asking around. Maybe it was yet another local thing that someone could explain. But when I considered who to ask, there were no great options. All of my friends were just as dumb as I was, if not dumber, and the only person I knew who was good with money was my pot dealer. My dealer, by the way, had a habit of confusing me with other customers and getting mad about things I hadn't done. These weren't exactly people I'd trust with the key to my apartment, much less an artifact that seemed so incredibly rare and valuable to me. Why did it seem so important? Well, my obsession with the coin became so pronounced that I began waiting for another order from the cursed house. I wanted to ask the owner about what he had given me, and, yeah, 
I wanted another one if he would be so kind as to leave the same tip again. For hours on end, I checked my phone with measured excitement, hoping to get that order again. Instead, I saw normal requests popping up across the area, requests that I summarily denied and left for some other driver to pick up. Suddenly, this was more important to me than the extra cash that was paying for the creature comforts in my life, mostly the aforementioned marijuana. Finally, the alert I'd been waiting for popped up. Same location, same order. I wasted no time accepting the job. Then I threw my shoes on and all but leapt out the door. It was almost like he knew I was doing nothing but waiting for that call and that he made sure to draw out the suspense until I couldn't stand the questions any longer. I rolled the coin through my fingers with one hand as I drove to my destination, my eyes occasionally glancing to the fast food bag on the passenger's seat. Burger. Rare. No fries. No drink. What did it mean? It seemed like a message I wasn't picking up on. Was said message an offer? A warning. Either way, the burning grip of rampant curiosity had a hold on me, and I was powerless to do anything but seek answers. Hey, I'm back. I called out as I walked the desolate dirt path up to the front door. I checked the windows, top and bottom floor, for any signs of someone inside. I've got your order. Again. I put the bag by the front door again, this time with a sort of sense of reverence, like placing a holy offering. Nice and fast, I commented. Sure, the customer couldn't hear me anyway. So, like, you know, tips appreciated and all that. The door cracked open again, this time in my full view. The same withered hand reached out again, seizing the bag in yellowed, long, talon-like fingernails. I could see it clearly this time, and I could tell that while the hand resembled that of a person, it was far from authentically human. My blood ran cold, and I found myself frozen in place, staring at the gnarled hand as it pulled the bag inside. A single coin rolled out of the doorway on its side, and instantly I felt myself uncontrollably grinning like an idiot. As I reached for it, the hand darted out once more, pressing the coin beneath one elongated bony finger. It then scraped the coin back to the threshold and picked it up. Hey, I complained, my brow furrowing in confusion. What are you doing? The door slammed shut. I felt horrible. Not like something had been taken away from me, but like I had tried to take something I hadn't earned. It's difficult to explain now, but I was possessed of an overwhelming urge of servitude that seemed to swell out of nowhere. It was something I hadn't even remotely experienced since I was a child, disappointing my parents in a thousand different ways. My phone beeped to let me know I had a new alert. The order hadn't been marked as completed yet, and I noticed that the message was coming from the very customer I had just served. He had sent two simple words, innocent enough on their own, but together they spoke volumes. Something more. I knew 
Immediately, I knew. A loathsome sort of self-hatred worked its way through my veins as I knew I fully understood the words. Something more. There was no question in my mind, and the pounding of my heart only compelled me forward. The order was clear. He wanted me to deliver a human being directly to his door. No muss, no fuss. The concept was as clear to me as if I had thought of it myself, though I quickly understood that something more unnatural was at play. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Frustrated, frantic, I drove around the city for a few hours, wasting what I knew to be crucial amounts of time. My mind went back to every serial killer horror story I'd ever seen on the nightly news. Who were the prime targets? People who went missing every day, with no one to know they were gone. Human debris in a corporately controlled system that didn't value anyone without immediate monetary value. I rode by homeless people, prostitutes. The sun had set and the streets were an ever-growing, sprawling buffet of leftovers. I had no idea who to choose, how to choose them, or even how I'd get them to go with me. I wrestled with the idea of whether or not I could actually drive them all the way out to that house, if I could lure them to the door, or if I'd lose my nerve and tell them to run. All I knew for sure was that I was taking way too long. Food delivery is a service that thrives on promptness. My phone went off again, fearing it might be a cancellation from my prized customer, now my only customer, I quickly pulled over onto a curb and checked my messages. What a relief. Just Kyle, my drug dealer. He demanded I call him back the moment I got his message. Since I was still stuck in my own head, with no leads on a good target, I obliged his less-than-cordial request. He threw in a few choice profanities to make sure I understood the urgency. As I already assumed, he was mad. Again. He had me mixed up with yet another buyer of his. Someone who owed him quite a good deal of money and had apparently made a rude comment about his sister. No amount of explaining his mistake would work. It never did. I guess I always had that kind of face, unremarkable and easily forgotten. He threatened to cut me off from every dealer he knew and said he'd stomp my ankles if he wasn't paid within the month. 
Only then did the light finally go on in my head. Tell you what, I said, making an illegal U-turn. I have some game consoles at home, and I barely use them. Let me pay you back with those, if it's cool. Where can I pick you up? All the way to the house, I could tell Kyle was trying to memorize the way there. For all he knew, I was taking him directly to where I lived, and if he played his cards right, he could come back later and case the house. Why well, stop at a few gaming systems if he could get a television or some other valuables, right? The ride was chilly at best. He checked his phone even more than I did, no doubt telling a series of stoners and crackheads that he'd get back to them when he was good and ready. I didn't know where the line was in terms of what he would or wouldn't sell. For all I knew, he was sitting on a meth operation and some very time-sensitive cooking processes. I made him out to be worse and worse in my head. It would make it easier to turn this simple, selfish deed into something nobler. In time, I could convince myself that I was ridding society of a parasite. Of course, it was one I was all too ready to work with in the past, with no moral question. But hey, people grow and change, right? Here we go, home sweet home. I said, trying to sound as casual as possible, given the circumstances. I'm sure my voice was shaking. Kyle pulled himself out of the car and stood on the brown dead lawn, his eyes still fixed on his phone. You want me to bring them out, or... I trailed off, waiting for his response. Instead, he silently turned off his phone and walked toward the front door. Of course, I knew he'd want to go in for himself. He'd probably unlock a window or at least scope out the best way to break in later. There was zero chance he'd let me bring out my property to pay off the bill I actually didn't owe. Predictable. What'd you say it all was? Kyle asked absently as he stood by the door. Xbox, PlayStation, and whatnot? I've been looking for a Dreamcast. Those are crazy expensive now. You have a Dreamcast and we're good with that alone. I didn't respond. I just waited. Yo, unlock it and give me my stuff. He insisted, checking the time on his screen. I think it's already unlocked, I replied quietly. He turned and grabbed the silver doorknob, carefully twisting it left, then right, before throwing the door open without any concern for privacy. I stepped back as Kyle looked up from his phone slowly, taking in full view of the thing that stood in front of him. In the pitch blackness of the doorway, I could see my prized customer for the first time in all his deformed, monstrous glory. The thing stood over six feet tall, its arms longer than its legs, knuckles resting on the wooden floor. Its face was stark, expressionless, with yellow eyes coated in translucent film that reflected the porch light. Its mouth, drawn into a frown, displayed four pronounced fangs that pressed out from its scarred and worn lips. Its body, covered in hairless, grayed flesh, seemed both emaciated and muscular, like a fighting dog that had been starved just long enough to make it mean. 
In one smooth motion, it swept Cal into its arms as he let out an ear-splitting primordial death scream, unlike any noise I'd ever heard before. His phone dropped to the ground as the two of them instantly disappeared into the black void of the house. Just as suddenly as he had screamed, everything was still and silent once more. Uh, uh, hello? I called into the house from what I figured was a safe distance. I did my part. I brought you what you wanted, right? The lights inside flickered on. The foreboding darkness was replaced with the almost welcoming sight of a half-furnished home that still looked as if no one was actually living there. More to the point, I could see through a short hall and into the dining room where a single gold coin laid on the bare table. My tip. All logical thoughts told me not to go inside. Definitely not of my own volition. Every fiber of my being argued against stepping over that threshold and into the pleasantly bland embrace of that refurbished hallway. Still, these thoughts and feelings could do nothing to stop the steady, mindless progress of my feet as I entered. I could hear a radio, maybe even a record player, as I nervously walked to the dining room. Some old-timey classical tune was playing, and I could hear the repeating scratches of a vinyl record that had been played far too many times. I took a seat at the table and, with trembling hands, lifted the coin. Again, it was warm to the touch. Thank you, I muttered, fully intending to stand back up and sprint for the door, for safety. No, came a low, rumbling voice from an adjacent room. Thank you. Couldn't tell where the voice had come from. It seemed to echo and reverberate to the point that the speaker could have been all around me, or even the house itself. The slow, steady sound of bone knocking against wood followed. Before long, the thing, the tremendous, impossible, dead-looking thing, shuffled through a doorframe. I felt like every lungful of air was sucked out of the room in that instant, and my head began to swim with a mixture of dead and peace. It was the sort of peace that probably comes over any living thing in the moment when it accepts an unavoidable end. The thing shuffled its gaunt body to the chair opposite mine, and, lifting itself with a wheeze, tucked itself into the seat as best it could, knees to chest. What? I stammered. There were too many ways to end that question. I couldn't choose one. The word that followed answered all of them, but I still didn't want to hear it. Vampire, it growled. I felt my head nodding as if this was a completely normal reply. I'm sorry it's not more interesting than that. The thing, the vampire added. No, no, it's fine. I quickly assured, despite the fact it was anything but fine. What was in him? I'd asked. Only at that point did I stop staring into its eyes, 
slimy and unfocused, staring wall-eyed in different directions. I noticed the absurdly large spatter of fresh blood marking its mouth and dribbling down its chest. I don't know what you mean, I answered. Drugs, the vampire explained. I'm freaking out. Oh, damn, I have no idea. I leaned back and thought for a moment. We weren't really friends or anything. Obviously. It snorted, wiping a viscous swath of human gore from its chin. The vampire lifted its red-tinged hands and waved me off absently, as if gesturing for me to leave. It was done with me for now. I stood from the table and pushed the chair back in to be polite. For all I knew, that bit of etiquette was all that stood between a safe departure and getting disemboweled where I stood for being rude. At the dining room door, I stopped and turned back toward what had become my favorite customer, though it was definitely by some sort of supernatural force. Can I ask you something? The vampire turned its head, its neck, skin hot, and showing pulsing veins full of stolen blood. You may, but choose your words carefully. You may not actually want to know. I put the coin into my pocket, where it joined its twin from the previous delivery. Why do you need me? I asked. Not that I'm complaining, of course. You're obviously a formidable force. You could easily hunt down and kill your food. Why call a service and have it brought to you? The vampire reached to a nearby counter with one disturbingly long arm and retrieved a smartphone, one it had no doubt stolen from someone unlucky enough to wander past this door. Maybe it came from a lost tourist or perhaps a Jehovah's Witness. I'd already used up my question, so I didn't ask. This house, the vampire explained, as it marked the last order as complete. This is my house. It always was. Then they burned it down around me. Luckily, I was at rest in a hidden chamber below the basement. I was hibernating. By the time I finally awoke, it had been rebuilt. It doesn't explain why you need me, though. For all intents and purposes, it's a new house. The vampire gestured toward itself. I'm inside a home, one that nobody invited me into. I leaned against the door frame and put a hand to my head, feeling the cold sweat on my brow. You're stuck, I chuckled. Quite, it replied flatly. All at once... An idea popped into my head, a dark, disturbing concept that had no place inside the mind of a normal, civilized person. I walked back into the room, pulled the chair back out, turned it around and sat down again, my arms folded over the back of the seat. What if... I smiled wickedly. What if you paid me to invite you out? I hope you enjoyed I Knock on Death's Door. 
as written by author Christopher Howard Wolf, a.k.a. Slime Beast, and performed by yours truly. Mmm, what a tasty treat that one was, wasn't it? Personally, I prefer my meat cooked just a little more. Well, just cooked at all, really. But can you blame someone if they're willing to try something that's a little seasoned differently than usual? If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash slimebeast. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash slimebeast, spelled exactly as it sounds, all as one word. You'll be redirected to his profile on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com where you'll find links to not only his official website, but to his collection of books on Amazon, as well as his social media. He's even got a YouTube channel where he discusses the latest happenings in the Creepypasta community, which he's been a part of for the better part of a decade. You'll also find a link to contact him on his profile if you'd like to drop him a line to show your appreciation, or just say hello. If you stop by Amazon via the link on Chris's profile, remember that by clicking through via that page, you're helping not only just the author, but us as well. As Amazon affiliates, a small portion of any purchases you make after clicking through comes back to us to help produce this very show. I personally recommend you pick up a copy of Chris's trilogy of short story collections, Spooky Tales. Each of the four books in the series is absolutely filled with the very best of Slime Beast's work from the past several years. From suspenseful tales of graveyard terror to a survey about your stay at a theme park, the books bring unexpected horrors from dark places. My personal favorite is a tale from Some More Spooky Tales, a dark and humorous campfire tale about none other than a zombified foot. Yes, you, you heard that right. But Chris's tales aren't all fun and games. You'll find plenty to give you shivers down your spine as well, in addition to the laughs. So check out his books today, and let him know that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Now, don't go anywhere. This night is just getting started. Our second tale of the evening by Christopher Howard Wolf introduces us to the unfortunate father, Todd Fowler, whose son has been feeling more than a bit under the weather. But a good luck charm given to him by a stranger just might be what his son needs, if he is willing to pay the price. Without further ado, I present to you the Borrow Box. The box was delicate and ornately decorated. As Todd Fowler held the small object, no bigger than a matchbox, he knew it would be very easy to destroy. One wrong move of his palm, a finger gripping its surface too tightly, and the tiny box would break into even smaller splinters. Meticulous patterns marked its surface, painted in red and brown with what must have been a magnifying glass and an impossibly fine paintbrush. What's this? 
he asked, looking back at the old woman, who'd given it to him without so much as a word. A borrow box. She replied, her weathered, wrinkled face, drawing up into a warm yet sad smile. A borrow box. Todd rolled the idea around his head and tried to make sense of it. The two of them sat in Dr. Eichmann's waiting room, a minimalist, antiseptic environment devoid of any interesting features to focus one's attention on. Even the frame paintings on the walls were shades of off-white, displaying nothing more than basic geometric shapes. I don't understand. Todd smiled back awkwardly. You want me to borrow it? For what? No, no, no. The old woman shook her head, taking his hands in hers, and closing them carefully over the box. It's yours to keep. It helped me for the longest time. Now I think it can help you. I got it for my husband, but he's no longer with us. Ah, Todd nodded. He reasoned to himself that this was some sort of religious trinket. It seemed like something elderly folks picked up at church, yard sales, or through Christian newsletters. Perhaps you were supposed to write out a prayer and put it in the box, or maybe its empty state represented a heart clear of wants and desires. Well, thank you. Todd put the box into his jacket pocket. Is your boy sick? The woman asked kindly, but bluntly. Todd looked through the office door. Moments earlier, his wife and son had passed through, leaving him behind to wait. The child had always felt more comfortable getting checkups with his mother. He told himself that it was probably that way for every family out there. Kids love their moms. Dad's there to keep the rules straight. Still, it would eat him up inside, sitting in that room for an hour or more, wondering if there would be good or bad news at the end of it. His thoughts would race with visions of emergency rooms, medical machines, and a funeral that would come way too soon. No matter how hard he tried to push those images away, they always found a way to sneak back in through the cracks. Yeah, he responded quietly, very sick. A loud clatter made both of them sit up straight with a jolt. The receptionist had returned to her desk and flung open the partition that separated her office from the waiting room. Ma'am, are you ready to schedule your next appointment? The receptionist asked flatly as the old woman pressed her cane to the ground and slowly pushed herself into a standing position. Todd let out a deep sigh and shook his head, disappointed in himself yet again. He should have returned the old woman's sympathy and asked how she was feeling. He suspected that she wasn't concerned with that, and even if she had noticed his lack of interest, the moment had passed regardless. As the woman left, she stopped in the doorway and turned back to him again. You'll know what it's for soon enough. Even I figured it out. She laughed. Then she added, These things tend to work themselves out. Not longer after that, confusing encounter, Todd stood to greet his wife Teresa and son Donald as they returned. He looked at her with a hopeful glance, 
Eyebrows raised. She pursed her lips and shook her head, causing his expression to drop again. It was a silent discussion they had many times before, never speaking in order to keep from worrying the child even more. Still, Todd received the message loud and clear. There had been no sudden turnaround, no unexplained regression of the mysterious illness taking root in his son. There was no miracle. Dad? The boy called, pointing to the office window. Todd turned and looked out to the parking lot, unsure of what he was supposed to see. What's up, Donnie? Dad, there's a butterfly trapped inside. Todd refocused his eyes and searched the window frame. Sure enough, a moth was at the corner, perched quiet and still against the glass. We gotta let it out. The child insisted as if every second mattered. With his wife at the receptionist's desk, Todd took the opportunity to waste a few moments making sure this new problem was solved. The last thing he wanted Donnie to think about right now was death, even one as routine and meaningless as the eventual demise of an insect. Feeling his pockets, Todd retrieved the small wooden box and scooped the moth into it. The almost microscopic hinges let out a barely audible high-pitched squeak as he cautiously pressed the lid shut. There you go. No problem, kiddo. Todd winked before walking to the door to set the bug free. As he stepped onto the sidewalk and pried the lid open with his fingernails, he found that the box was empty once again. Did it fly away? Donnie asked as he and his mother exited the building behind Todd. Um, Todd looked to the ground to see if the moth had already been dead and had somehow fallen out. Then he briefly checked the air around him. Finding nothing, he returned the box to his pocket and put on yet another false smile. Yep, it took right off before he came out, and I think he said thank you before he left. That night, the full gravity of the situation once again hit him. Standing over his son's bed, watching the frail boy sleep with weak, labored breaths, brought to mind a sort of final rest that he was in no way prepared for. Forcing the chill out of his spine and the clutching fear out of his heart, Todd kissed Donnie's cold, damp forehead and left to endure yet another sleepless night of his own. He was taking too many days off from work, even though his boss was more than accommodating given the situation. Even the most gracious and understanding person would have to fire him eventually. Nothing about this whole ordeal was benefiting anyone. Is he okay? Came Teresa's slight trembling voice as Todd stepped into the bedroom, leaving the door cracked open. He knew what she meant. She wasn't asking if he was any better, but whether or not he was worse. Yeah, yeah, he's fine. He responded, nothing new. She sat on the bed in her white nightgown, reading one of many books on the subject of parenting a terminally ill child. Todd watched her weary green eyes move across the pages, admiring the strength and calm he often found absent in himself. Pulling off his boots, then undressing, Todd pulled his phone out 
and moved to check his missed calls before turning in for the night. To his surprise, however, he found that he wasn't holding his cell phone at all. It was the box. The same box that had fit in the center of his palm only hours earlier had tripled in size and now required a full hand to grip it. The painted patterns were clearer and more defined. He could see the tiny nails, no larger than thumbtacks, holding the bits of wood in place. What the hell? Todd muttered, studying the March Ledger item in a critical stare. Hmm? Teresa asked, her attention still on the book. Uh, nothing, Todd stammered. Just, yeah, nothing. The box went into a drawer, crammed between rolls of socks, where it would supposedly remain untouched and intentionally forgotten. The next morning arrived, as they all had, with parents rolling out of bed just as exhausted as they'd been the previous night. As was tradition, Teresa would sit by Donnie's bed and coax him awake, while Todd handled breakfast as best he could. Eggs and toast were the usual choices, since they were the hardest to ruin. The two of them were awestruck by the change. There, sitting at the dining room table, was young Donnie. He was all smiles. He seemed energetic and enthusiastic about starting the day. He wore a jumble of mismatched clothing that he had obviously picked out himself. D D Donnie, what's going on? Todd rushed to the boy's side and knelt next to him. Teresa covered her mouth in shock. What's for breakfast? Donnie asked casually as if nothing had changed. Feel his forehead. Teresa joined Todd, placing a hand on the boy's head. Do you feel hot? Were you sleepwalking? Donnie pulled back from her hand with a frustrated groan, as if all of the worry was completely unnecessary. And please don't make eggs again, Dad. Neither of them could explain it. Dr. Eichmann couldn't explain it. The specialist they'd been in contact with insisted that the boy must have been misdiagnosed because such a sudden and perfect recovery should not be scientifically possible. Todd wondered if, somewhere along the line, one of his countless promises or threats aimed at God had worked. After all, he'd gotten that miracle he was so desperate for. Days passed and Donnie slowly gained muscle. After a few weeks, he stood straight and no longer showed any signs of unnatural fatigue. Within a couple of months, it was as if nothing had ever been wrong in the first place. Despite Teresa's lingering concerns, Todd taught his son how to play catch, how to climb trees, and how to socialize with others of his own age. He felt a sense of pride that came with subtle pangs of shame. Todd knew he should have been proud of his son from the start. Then, in the third month, it all came to a sudden and painful halt. Donnie was sick again. Even though his symptoms were slight, and he tried his best to ignore him, his parents knew no matter how much they wanted to deny it, they knew. Arguments flared up. Teresa blamed Todd for pushing Donnie too hard, for moving him out into the world before he was ready. Todd bitterly insisted that if the boy was only going to have three months of relief, 
Then it was the best he had experienced a normal childhood, even if it would only be once. The horror of outliving their son came flooding back like a repressed memory of his existential torture. Nights were sleepless again. In those hours of darkness, both of them lay awake, but neither spoke. The box greeted Todd as he reached the end of his clean socks. Staying on top of the laundry wasn't exactly at the forefront of their thoughts. He pulled the box out and studied it again. The question of how and why it had expanded to this size was enough to tie up his adult mind. Pulling the lid open again, he searched the interior with his fingers, feeling for any sort of mechanical apparatus. It seemed obvious to him that this was an illusion, a party trick, or a gag gift meant to confuse onlookers. The magical, mysterious growing box. He chuckled absently. Amaze your idiot friends. Astound some drunk bastards at the bar. Only available from Useless Crap Incorporated. Todd considered showing the box to Donnie. A younger, fresher brain could probably figure out the trick more easily. As he moved to close it, he noticed something had been painted on the inside of the lid. Three tally marks, roughly scrawled with the same red paint as the exterior designs. Todd's heart felt as if it had dropped into his gut. In an instant, a strange idea came to him. Three months. That was exactly how long it had been since Donnie had made his recovery. It had been three months since the box had changed its size. Three months since he had put something living inside, only for it to vanish without a trace from existence. On the face of it, the thought made no logical sense. In Todd's desperate state, it was entirely possible that madness had begun to creep in. Still, he couldn't help but repeat the words that strange old woman had said to him. You'll know what it's for. A borrow box. Todd considered the idea that he might have unwittingly borrowed time. That afternoon, Todd excused himself from the next visit to Dr. Eichmann. He made an offhand excuse about having to talk with his employer. Since things looked grim again, he would, of course, have to ask for more patience and understanding from the company. Instead, he spent that time testing the absurd theory he'd come up with. At first, he found garden insects to stuff into the box. Finding that this did nothing more than upset the creatures, he came to the conclusion that a larger box might require more bugs. Still, this yielded no result. Nothing vanished, nothing changed. Somehow, he knew he still hadn't come to the correct conclusion. He fully embraced the idea that what he was doing was insane. In the interest of leaving no stone unturned, he proceeded, if for no other reason, than to prove he had at least tried all he could. There was no harm in trying, especially when his son's well-being was more than worth going crazy for. All right, a larger container doesn't mean more things. Todd mused as he stood in the backyard for what seemed like an hour, the sun slowly passing overhead. So maybe we need something bigger. 
He listened to the frogs croaking just beyond the property line. The pond was full of them at this time of year. He wondered how hard it would be to be able to get a hold of one. After yet another hour, his clothes drenched, and shoes lost to the mud, he held his squirming prey with clutched hands. I just don't understand any of this, Teresa shouted as she returned home that evening. She threw her hands in the air with frustration and collapsed onto the sofa. Is it? Tell me it's not worse than before. Todd swallowed hard, already feeling embarrassed at how he had spent the day. The door flew open and Donnie stomped through, running full tilt up the stairs into his bedroom. He was singing the entire way. Dr. Eichmann said it was grim. He sat me down, and he asked if I was prepared for the day when we lost him. Teresa's voice cracked. Her mood was frantic, confused beyond all reason. Then on the drive home, Donnie was begging for McDonald's, and he was almost jumping out of his seat. He's full of energy again. Energy and life, and it's great, but what's happening? And she gave up speaking and sunk into the sofa cushions with an exasperated sigh. Todd looked at the shelf to his side. The box, now roughly the size of a brick, stood there on its end. The open box lid wore six tally marks. Those six months came and went in a joyful blur. Donnie never felt better. Todd and Teresa had mended all but the smallest roadblocks in their marriage. Any trips to the doctor only seemed to confirm, time and again, that the boy didn't need to be there at all. Todd never dared to question the strange process after that. On the day he taught Donnie to ride a bike, he found an injured bird that had been glanced by a, a passing car. Its suffering was mercifully ended within the box, which then displayed twelve marks. The sickness would be postponed for a full year. As time progressed, Todd became accustomed to planning things out. By the time that year came to a close, he'd befriended a neighborhood cat. Old and half-blind, the flea-bitten stray happily set itself on the blanket inside the box. Two years borrowed. It was more than enough time to grow tired of the neighbor's dog. It was a vicious, loud mutt that they kept chained up and barely looked after. Another easy four years. And after more than seven extra years in total, the box stood waist-height, pressed against the wall like a cabinet. Its painted surface still as brightly colored as the day Todd had first laid eyes on it. He opened the door from time to time. What had once been a squeak of the hinges now echoed through the house as a deep metal groan. Each time he stared into the shadows of the box, past the 48 tally marks on the inside of the door, his thoughts raced. It was big now. Too big. How large would the thing become? How would he continue to meet its requirements? And what would happen once he could no longer fill it? With Donnie celebrating his 12th birthday, the days seemed to grow shorter and shorter. Soon he would need to find a way to solve the problem. Through trial and error, 
he had learned just how limited his options were. The box didn't want anything unless it was alive. Early on, he found that random inanimate objects didn't work. Meat, no matter the quantity, did nothing. The box needed a life in order to give life. What would that be? A pig? A small deer. Could he even trap one? He came to terms with the thought that he might have to physically injure some sort of larger prey. He would need to keep it alive and in pain long enough to close it in. The thought made him sick, but the idea of doing nothing could not be accepted. Todd had tried to get in touch with the old woman years prior, but of course the doctor's staff wouldn't give him her information. Routinely driving by the office, in hopes of catching her there, yielded no results. He eventually settled into the idea that she had passed away some time after they had met. Further, no amount of research shed any light on the box, and it had no marks to denote who had made it or where it had come from. Teresa became curious about the strange cabinet, but Todd explained it away as a woodworking project, something he had made while trying his hand at a new hobby. The explanation seemed to work, especially since the box always looked new and definitely seemed to be handmade as opposed to mass-produced. She asked about making use of the thing, but he insisted he still needed to install shelves inside. On the morning before his birthday party, Donnie wasn't feeling very well. The fatigue was returning, and he had a pronounced cough that both his parents recognized immediately. Still, the boy insisted that the party not be cancelled. He claimed he was feeling fine, as most children would in his situation. No one had the heart to postpone the party. After all, if the illness had returned, there might not be another. Todd was desperate. He had waited too long, thought things over too much, and wasted precious time. He became too comfortable and wasn't prepared for the next step. As he stood, sweating profusely, before the gathering of children who had come to celebrate, he found an unexpected sentence escaping his lips, something he hadn't even intended to say. The words felt dark and terrible in his mouth, and his heart raced as he realized what he had done. Let's surprise him. He could barely utter the words without sputtering as he wiped the sweat from his brow. Within an instant, the handful of other parents were turning to the kids and encouraging them to go hide. Soon, Donnie would manage to get his bearings and would drag himself down the stairs from his bedroom. In the meantime, what could be more fun than hiding? From the next room, Todd heard the groan of the box's hinges. The deep, resonating metallic echo sounded like the hungry growl of some wild, brutish beast. Amid the excited giggling and whispering, he heard the door click shut. Eight more years. In the Fowler household, the mystery and heartache of a missing child were overshadowed by yet another stunning medical recovery. Donnie would live to the age of 20. The time quickly came for Todd to explain why the cabinet he had supposedly built by hand was replaced with a six-foot-tall armoire of the same design. 
He stared at the tremendous box for moments on end before telling Teresa that a larger one would be more useful. It would have much more storage space for important things. Technically, it was true. From that point forward, Todd was cold and distant. He watched Donnie grow into a young man. His son was always energetic, always grateful for every day he had on Earth. Adversity had molded him into a caring and respectful person. He even volunteered his spare time after school to help others less fortunate than himself. Todd told himself he'd made the right decision, but had he even made the decision at all? Another thing the old woman had told him came back to rattle around in his guilt-ridden psyche. These things tend to work themselves out. Was she speaking in general, or did she specifically mean that borrow boxes would create their own opportunities? The concept that there was more than one of them out there was a notion too chilling to consider. It wasn't until he almost lost his wife that he knew it had all come to an end. Todd came home early from work, exhausted from both physical labor and the mental toll of what he had done. After unlocking the front door and stepping into the living room, he froze at the horrifying sight in front of him. Teresa stood with one foot on the carpet and the other raised onto the floor of the oversized box. She had all but climbed inside of it, screwdriver in hand. Stop! Todd shouted, unable to control the volume of his voice. Teresa poked her head out of the cabinet, a mockingly stern look on her face. She smirked. No, she shook her head. You've had more than enough time. I'm putting the shelves in myself. The fear that rose from Todd's stomach squeezed the air from his lungs, making him lightheaded. In that moment, he wasn't afraid of Teresa climbing into the box. He was afraid he would push her in. The feeling seized him like the sudden and inexplicable urge to jump from a cliff. He didn't want to lose his wife. He never would do anything to harm her. Still, something insidious perched at the back of his mind. Donnie could live to be 32 years old. That was so much more time than anyone would have ever given him. Get out of it! Todd shouted again, pressing his hands together and interlocking his fingers in a desperate attempt to keep them from shoving her. Teresa frowned, stepping out and thrusting the screwdriver toward Todd, handle first. Fine. It's your project. Whatever, she sighed. I have everything ready to go, so no more excuses, right? Todd walked past her to the box, heavy door still hanging open. He squinted at it hatefully, then turned back to Teresa. He let out a hot breath before finding the words he wanted. You know what, honey? I'm getting rid of this piece of garbage. I can do better. Teresa stepped back in surprise as Todd gripped the box on either side, rocking it back and forth and walking it away from the wall. Todd, seriously? You can't do that by yourself. Distracted, Todd turned his head and gave a sad half-smile. I think you'd be surprised at what I've done. 
Suddenly the box began to tip forward. He had pulled too hard, too recklessly. It fell, the weight of its open door, helping throw off its center of gravity. Teresa screamed as Todd threw his hand out in front of him, finding only the back of the box as it toppled down onto him. He barely had time to let out a yelp as he stared wide-eyed into the shadowy abyss. These things tend to work themselves out. Teresa ran to find her phone and called for help. There was no way she would be able to move the wooden hutch by herself. When she stepped back into the room, she felt silent, despite the urging of the voice on the other end of the line. She found that the box, still lying face down, lid open, no longer appeared to be what it once was. Now, it was no bigger than a matchbox. Dumbfounded, she dropped the phone and slowly approached the box, scooping it up in her shaking hands. She couldn't understand anything that had just happened, but she would have sixteen additional years to think it over. In time, she would figure out what to do. I hope you enjoyed The Borrow Box by author Christopher Howard Wolf, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by stopping by our horror fiction website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash slimebeast. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash slimebeast, all one word, and that'll take you to his profile on creepypastastastories.com, a veritable smorgasbord of totally free horror stories to keep you up all night long, where you'll find links to follow Chris on social media, visit his website, drop him a line, or pick up copies of his previously published works on Amazon.com. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's books or stories read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote, and be sure to let him know you heard about him on this program and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Chris would appreciate it too. Thanks again for your support of this show, and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012 
all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.